Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Psych in the City. I'm the Psych, the Psychic Heather Obble, and you are here with me in Hollywood, California. That's the city, and my guest today is a very special friend, a very special comedian, actor, host, and filmmaker, Mr. Lou DiMaggio. Hey, Lou. Hello, Heather. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good. We get to see each other, but no one gets to see us, so we don't have to dress up or put on makeup or anything like that. I know you love makeup. Yeah, I know. It's uh, <laughs> so disappointing that I haven't been able to put my face on. <laughs> so, like I said in the intro, you are a very special friend to me, um, and we have this like sacred bond due to the fact that we've been friends for like I think twenty years. Like, how long do you think? Actually, yeah, maybe. Maybe a few years, even more, maybe 21 or 22, judging by like when we worked together on that show years ago. So I think it was more than 20 years. Right. Because I was 12. <laughs> yeah. <so I> was <laughs> 17. Yes. So I want to I want to get into. Well, first of all, I've read you several times. Mm -hmm. Never have you given me money, right? So you owe me, you owe me like $2,000. I guess. I was trying to make it up in, uh, you know, in industry uh, shows, <laughs> you know. We're still working on it, right? So. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So what has come true for you or what are some things that you can sort of point to in the past where you went, oh shit, Heather told me that and it came true. Do you have any memories like that? Like maybe something with your son Daniel or or any things that happen? Yeah, there was stuff like uh, that had to do with uh, his career. He's an actor and, and who, who actually works on a show and stuff. And there were some technical things about, uh, you know, is it gonna get picked up? Is it not gonna get picked up? When's it gonna start? You know, things like that. And it was all accurate, you know? So I, I for some reason, have a problem asking for things about what I, you know, want or need you know so except i will say that you know the, the, the stuff that i was most impressed with was the spiritual stuff and the connections to people that are no longer here that are connected to me that stuff kind of really blew me away my right. father, things like that and i found it very uh very comforting to know and it was so accurate in terms of what the conflicts were and what just the simple statements of, well, I don't want to get into the specifics, specific specifics, but it was very accurate in the sense of what those problems could have been and how they were being mended. Or just right. by me knowing about them, how it just made me feel so much more uh, at ease, tranquil. Yeah, I like to tap into the emotions of people, you know? So with Daniel, I tap into Daniel a lot. What is his show called again? Uh, American Housewife. American housewife and Daniel is this you guys like this this mini heartthrob he's gorgeous he's like this <laughs> I feel perverted in saying so but he he's this gorgeous like teen idol and every time we talk it's like I can feel Daniel I don't know if he's an old soul I, he is an old soul but it's it's like he's like this 48 year old man in inside of his skin you know and and he's how old is he 16. 
16, and I'm telling you, he's very old soul, very wise, very uh, together kid. And it's like, for some reason, I bond with him spiritually uh, on the in the uh, ethereal realm. And I will say uh, things like, oh, his show's going to get a pickup. Oh, no, they, they, this person is no good on the set. This is, this is happening with so-and-so. I don't know, but it's like I will spiritually bond with certain people, even though I don't know them or I'm not, like, um, in their sphere of, of whatever. But he has... A, he has what I call the light. And when someone has the light, like they'll come to me and I'll say, like my client, uh, Dwayne Henry, for instance, he is an actor. He came to me and I said, I see you. He was homeless. And I said, he, he had the light. He has this aura around him. You have the light. But it's like this aura around that person that is of uh, fame and fortune, of like a, a, a specific... Uh, touched by the angels kind of energy and it's, it's beauty and it's grace and it's um, and, and it's not like I, I can't explain it but it's beautiful and it's energy and everything is energy and so with Daniel it's like I met him a few times but I just can read him so beautifully because he's open and he's touched by this light and so it just radiates off of him and I'm able to see what's going on with him but it's like you know, when you feel like, oh, perhaps there's like another life there that we shared, you know, and, and you, you just, just with my mind, the way it is, I just feel this from certain people, certain energies, you know, and then like with you, I've always felt like lose my brother, like no matter what, lose my brother. And we, we connect on this sort of level of like, we're in on the joke and nobody else is <laughs> yes. like it's all bullshit and we're in on the joke right it helps it helps you get through right right it helps you get through that's what comedy's all about you just nailed it right like the farce of hollywood yes <laughs> farce among farces you know it's it's the most uh absurd situation and if you take it really seriously you're just destined for gloom <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> and so you know you can really enjoy it and have fun if if you don't and also you got to be smart business wise and things like that but yeah it's it's uh it's every cliche and every joke you've ever heard it's true to the 12th power you know but you know it's interesting when you were talking about daniel i was going to ask you a question as as a as i'm going to turn the tables and i'm the host now okay <laughs> and i'm saying i'm asking you um as a psychic does that happen often where you're reading someone, but you're picking up so much other stuff around them, other people in their lives, so that that dominates even you focusing on the person that you're reading, right? So that, you know what I mean? Like there's so much around them that you go, wait a minute, I got to talk about this kid, you know, your son or, or whoever or whatever. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, when... When I'm reading someone, well, like with you, Daniel is so dynamic and so filled with light and he's such an energy that is so powerful that I may, yes, I, what will happen is if I'm reading you, I, I think I intuited him before when I first met you. I said, do you have a son? You know, and, and you say, yes. And then I say, oh, okay, I'm getting a D name 
and you said, yes, it's Daniel. And then from there I went, you know, and then I get more messages. Is he creative? Is he an artist? Is he an actor? What's going on? I see fame and fortune for him. It will go from there. So it's, it's actually every reading I will pick up a family member, a child, a lover, someone who is very dynamic in their life. And it always comes at the beginning of the reading. I'll say, is your wife Loretta? And Loretta's coming to me because she's not satisfied with the way your relationship's going right now. Because <laughs> you're not communicating, Lou. <laughs> Lou, you need to communicate more. <laughs> communicating with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. and then toward the end of the reading, they'll be like, oh my God, I gained so much clarity about Loretta. I can't believe that came through first. It's like the thing that is the most powerful or a dead relative. Oh, Uncle Frank just came through because he has some unresolved business with you around the finances on the lake house, you know, or whatever. And then it's like, they'll be like, what the fuck, Uncle Frank? That's who I wanted to come through. Because you're focusing on Uncle Frank, then energetically our minds connect and he comes through to me. You know, people say, oh gosh, I was, you know, I read this guy Rob the other day. He was saying, I really wanted my dad and my sister to come through and I'm focusing on this photograph of them and then in the beginning of the reading I said your your sister and your dad are coming through and he said that's so crazy because I've been looking at this photograph of them right before the reading again and again and again and so energetically we're connected and then you manifest these things because energetically you're connected it's all energy right and you're like um, a very sensitive uh, antenna that's picking up whatever's right. around this entity this person this spiritual yeah it's interesting so i want to talk to you about so many things but there but i think there's something really cool about you in that you did this film recently called where have you gone lou dimaggio yeah it, it's a documentary. It's fabulous, fabulous. You guys have to see it. It's it's on iTunes, Amazon. Um, am I right? iTunes and Amazon. Yeah, yeah. In fact, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you can watch it for free. You don't even have to buy it. Okay, right on. So we we did do some psychic advising prior to that. Uh, I think I was dead on with all of that as well. Like when it would air, what the what would happen. I think it's definitely a hit in the making. It's like a quiet storm right now. Very quiet. <laughs> Stop it. And so basically, the, the premise of this film is so gorgeous because you were a stand-up comedian and you quit like in the late 80s, right? No, actually I quit probably right just before around the time I met you, because that's when I started going into writing and producing. Okay. When was that? I still kind of had a toe in and out of it, too. You know, I was doing gigs here and there, but I was mostly out of it. And then by the late 90s, I was pretty much done with it. And you guys were talking about, like, he came up with, like, Larry David and Howie Mandel and Ray Romano and, like, I mean, the greats. So Lou was out at the, um, uh, uh, where, what was the club? It was... Um, oh, in New York, um, Catch a Rising Star. Catch a Rising Star. Like, Lou was the shit, and he was adorable, and he's wearing his Clash t-shirts and his Converse and probably doing cocaine and who knows what, you know. 
was those days. And so it was like he was adorable and, and he was killing it. And then all of a sudden, like you stopped. And so I want to talk about blockages. Like yeah. what, what makes one stop when you're catch a rising star, Larry David, killing it, superstardom in comedy. And then you just say, I'm done. You know, it's interesting. First of all, it used to be very difficult to answer the question because I couldn't, I couldn't really figure it out. Then I started to think it was, you know, very specific conventional things like, you know, getting married and having kids and being distracted by that and moving to Los Angeles, things not moving as quickly as I would have hoped. So that was causing, you know, a log jam. But really, I, I think ultimately it was like when I was in the midst of that success and, and that light, and I really could feel it. I, I you know, it's funny because now I understand all that. But you know, you're you're not operating. You're operating on on automatic pilot. That's why you know I, I think there's a great analogy. Not that I put myself in this position, but people always want to know why. Like do the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and all these other bands. You can name a million bands. You can name a million artists who create this incredible catalog of work in their twenties and early thirties, and then they start to they start to become more self-aware, right? And then they start to think about what am I doing? What am I doing? What do I, how do I want to be perceived? Who am I? That's when you're dead. Okay. Yeah. So I think ultimately that was really the answer. I got to the point where I was, I got away from just being who I was on stage and what I wanted to say and all that stuff. And I started to think about what am I going to do now? What's, what do I have to get from the business? And then, and then I was sabotaging myself without even realizing it. You know, it's just, it's just the way it goes. But I didn't know really what was happening. I was looking for all other, all other kinds of excuses. And the other thing was that I had done it, you know, about 15 years at that point. And I probably just needed a break. And I should have just taken a break. But instead, you know, I'm like, I got to do something else. <laughs> so I started, you know, writing, producing. And, 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 you know, to this day, I still do, you know, I still work on TV shows and things like that. But you know, I, I just reached a point before the film was made and why the film was made, where I was like, I want to reconnect with who I was as a stand-up. Because even, even quitting and everything, I still, that was everything for me. That's what got me into the business. That's, that, that was the source of all of everything I've ever done since. And uh, I wanted to find out if I could get back to that place, you know, on stage or in creatively. And that's really what the film was about, that journey from getting up and doing it so awesome so what what you're talking about and you probably don't even know it is there's something i call the space between thoughts right so you're closest to god when you're in the space between thoughts and when we're in our 20s and teens and sometimes 30s if you're like us and we mature very slowly <laughs> is the space between thoughts right meaning we're not thinking so when you're not thinking you're able to blindly go for your dreams, right? So when we're closest to God is when we're not thinking. So when you start thinking is when everything gets fucked up. That's exactly. What, what happened to you is you started thinking and that ruined everything. It's a blessing and a curse in a way too to be, uh, and this is not self-serving, but like when you're aware and you, you're intellectually curious and all that stuff, you have to, that has to be separated from what you're doing. The more time you have to yourself, the more reflection goes on, the more you start to get away with the essence of what you were doing and how good you were doing. 
and you start to question it. Meanwhile, what are you questioning? You obviously were doing it. When I look back now in retrospect, I'm like, wow. First of all, it's like I look at that person as somebody else, and I'm very impressed with what that person did and where that, that person came from. I watched those tapes, you know, it's in the movie. I'm looking at myself on stage, you know, in, in 1986 or whatever. And I'm like, wow, I'm like looking at this kid and I'm just thinking, what balls, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then there's a little bittersweet reflection to think you should have, you should have stayed, progressed from there and stayed there and stayed in it. But it's like it ran out of gas. And, it, and I think it was distractions, a lot of distractions. It happens You know, like in, um the cartoons when the character will run off the cliff and they don't fall right away because they don't know that they've run off the cliff. Then they look down and they go, oh shit, and then they fall. Right, yeah. That's kind of like, that would probably be a good description of quitting. Okay, because you don't look down. That's a great analogy. You don't look down when you're flying high, right? You just don't. But when you do, you're done, (laughs) you know? And have you noticed this, people our age um, come to, or your age and my age? <laughs> they, I'm older than you, so, you know. <laughs> But anyway, they come to this, uh, have you ever heard people uh, say, I can't ride roller coasters anymore. I used to ride roller coasters, but I can't anymore. It, it hurts my back, it freaks me out, I get real scared, etc. Well, that is, to me, indicates a change in consciousness Mm. right because when we were younger we didn't have fear now we live in a fear-based consciousness that's why you can't ride a roller coaster anymore but so many people i know say oh i can't ride a roller coaster anymore and it's a metaphor isn't it i can't ride a roller coaster anymore it's a metaphor and people uh also they start to fear heights when they didn't before things like that you know it's like, again, it's when you start to reflect into fear. Yeah, that's what happens. Sure. Exactly. So I think that's why I love your movie so much, because you just said, fuck it. I'm going back. I'm checking it out. And then you talk to all these these greats and the, it's like they achieved this greatness. And did you find it was due to having no fear or walking through the fire? Or what did you sort of get from interviewing them that was the secret to their success? Or was it just random? Like, what did you find from all that? It's a really great question. Because I, I mean, I, I, my own theory, even going into this project was that I, I always felt like you know, there were plenty of people, not just me, but plenty of other people that should have been you know, as big as a lot of those names that are in the film that were just people that I started out with. And there is a certain cruel randomness to that, but that's true of a lot of things in life. You know, what, what and how much intelligence you get. I mean, all of those things are, are just random. Mm-hmm. And there is a certain amount of randomness to this. That said, you know, I would also say that all of those people short, shared one thing in common. They just wouldn't quit. They probably were more the type of a person where like, I just can't do anything else. I just can't. And in in my case, you know, I could do other things. I was a little bit distracted. I wanted to do, you know, and I did do a lot of acting as well as as stand up and, and it's great. And it's what I wanted to do, but I think it divides your, uh, your attention sometimes and it makes you start to crave other things in different fields. And I don't think any of those people had that. 
I, I think they were just like, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. And that's that. And I didn't, I was not quite like that. I was just, well, I, I, mean, I, didn't have money. I, I started writer. to take my eye off the ball and look, look beyond, you know. But I mean, you're, you've done acting, you're an Emmy winning writer, you've done films. I mean, you're, you have this successful eclectic background. So, I mean, I think you've, you've always hustled. It's just, you, maybe you had your feet in other pools, you know? Well, sometimes, sometimes it dilutes you, right? I mean, I personally, I remember having a couple of years where I literally did, you know, I did stand up and I, I was writing on something and I acted in a film and I acted on a TV show and I said, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, I want to, I want to be able to just move around from thing to thing to thing. But you can't always, you know, you can't control that. And, and a lot of times people in certain areas of the business want to pigeonhole you like, you know, you should only be doing this or I'm only going to bring you in for this. I don't know. But I did have some really good years where I was doing it all because I was directing it that way. And now everybody's just trying to figure it out, especially during these times, you know, everything's being reset. So I don't know. I don't know where it goes from here. These uncertain times? Yes. <laughs> Beginning of every commercial on television. <laughs> these... It should say in these uncertain times, we're still going to take your money. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sound concerned and sincere about these uncertain times. These fucking uncertain times. Yeah. About what's uncertain? We're 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 watching TV and we're eating and. Uh, yeah. It's not like World War Two, folks. It's just so when we weren't hanging out, I I never missed you because I would see you on TV all the time. You'd be on like. Curb, you were on Curb for a long time. Well, I did a recurring on that. Yeah, that was great. That was the most fun I've ever had. I think probably doing anything. Why was it so much fun? Because you know the the improvisation part of it. You know, you're working. It's cliche. You're working without a net, but you are. I mean, you you know, you know what uh, what's going on in the story and all that. But you're allowed to just make up your own dialogue, and it's that's wonderful. rad. When you do that, it's like it just makes everything else feel so stale. Because each time you do it, it's a little bit different. It's got its own energy. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. And it's wonderful. I think other people have tried to do it, but it hasn't really... I think it's still because that show is... The premises and the, and the concepts of the show are so strong that you, you can't miss, you know? It's just the situations are, that are laid out are so funny and absurd and crazy that you just can't mess it up. So it's a wonderful experience as an actor and as a comedian and as an improviser to do that. Do you believe in the power of manifestation? I do. I've been around that somewhat. I feel, I feel like, again, I feel like sometimes that the other day I, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in almost a year. And literally the day before I was talking about him with my wife and, uh, it was one of those things that that happens more and more that weird sort of synchronicity where you, you're thinking about someone you go I, I really need to reconnect with that guy and then boom he calls me the next day so that that kind of stuff I, you could say that's a coincidence but I mean what do you say about that I totally believe in energy and manifesting and things happening and in co they're not coincidence they're synchronicities but the re yeah. what I'm getting at is something that's really fucked up and yet funny at the same time which is you did a commercial for heart attack. Then you had a heart attack. Well, yeah. Tell me about that. I said I manifested the commercial by having a heart attack. Yeah, like what happened? What happened with that? Actually, that was, uh, 
I guess that was about two years after the actual event, maybe about a year or two. My wife actually was looking through something or uh, a breakdown or something. It was something came through somewhere. And she says, Oh, you should be, you should go up for this. Cause there was some medication that at the time I was taking. I subsequently now don't take anything, which is great. Yeah. So they were looking for people just to have to, to do a testimonial about, about uh, what happened to them. And it was actually really kind of cool because it wasn't like, uh, Hey, take this drug. It's really good. It's more about, I had, a heart attack and actually what i did was when i went in to read for it or audition whatever i did um my choice was to pretend that i was roasting like at a at a com comedy roast and i was roasting my heart so it got it was really you know it, it was funny and it was effective enough to get their attention and then they they hired me and then they they wrote something based on you know what they wanted to do based on their knowledge of what they knew about me and that's what i ended up doing and it was cool because i mean it was i felt connected to it so yeah it's weird how that stuff happens i mean like you can out of the pain and and devastation of our lives we can have something beautiful manifest you know yeah you know what else about that that was really interesting that you i don't even know if you know this but i because because of that spot it was a big big drug company and you know big pharma but they i can't i have to say they were honestly very cool with me and the people that other people that did it and they really weren't about trying to sell drugs so much as trying to connect to people real people to say you know you know sometimes things are going to go wrong and you're going to have to do <laughs> whatever you have to do and we have that stuff i guess ultimately yeah they are they are there but they did it in a, in a very organic way but they also asked me to go and speak to their uh, salespeople, me and some of the other people that they, uh, we, they called us prevailers because we were prevailing. <laughs> so, but that, that was the coolest part of it. First of all, it was great because it was like pretty lucrative to go out and speak at these conventions and stuff. And I had never really done that before. Um, so, but you know, you make some connections with people and some of those, some of those uh, talks, and again, they were like, they never said, you have to do this, you have to do that. They said, just go up and tell your story. And to somebody like me, you know, who's used to being on stage, it was really easy and fun, you know. So I, I told a serious story, but I would peppered it with some good jokes and things like that. So they were really happy with that because most of these things are very dry. And, but people would come up to you or come up to me. Some people did at the end who had maybe uh, had themselves had a heart attack or they had a relative that they lost or some of the whatever and they would come up to me and they would say wow you know uh, that was really powerful like that that connection i i i mean i had a little i had that with stand-up sometimes too you know but this was really interesting I, I hadn't i hadn't bargained for that for somebody to come up to me and go oh my god that was you made my life so much better and that house that also happened when I did screenings for the film, you know, where people would come up and go, okay, I'm going back. I'm going to go do whatever it was that they wanted. Yes. So that's the thing. I mean, I, I was going to say like, what happened, what changed in you once you finished the film? Like, did you feel less fearful? It's, uh, it, there, there was, you, you know what it is? It's like, um, it's the satisfying of this, uh, nagging i was getting i say it, i talk about it in the film it was this voice in the back of your head we all have it right the the one that's telling you what you you know the, it's it's not the critical negative voice but the critical positive voice that's looking out for you that's saying you need to do this because you need to fill your soul 
you know, or at least find out, at least, at least finish this, uh, at least honor this because you, you don't feel it's unfinished business. And so really a lot of it was unfinished business. I walked away too soon and it was a question of, can I just at least, and, and you know, I always use the analogy because it's, it's like a redemption story, but it's like in Rocky, you know, Rocky, Rocky doesn't win the fight. He just wants to go the distance, right? So in this case, I just wanted to get back up on stage and see if I could do it. And if I could do it effectively enough where I can honestly say, oh, there it is. That's where I was at before, where I could go up and feel really comfortable. And I had my act, but, you know, I would improvise around it. I was really connected to the audience. And it, there's a zone, you know, that you get in, obviously, when any, any creative musician, but a comedian too, you know, you, you, you are the room. And because mm -hmm. you are so literally the center of attention, how do you, how do you wield that power? You know? Mm -hmm. So I used to be really good at that. Like I was a good, strong leader and I wasn't shy about, you know, I, I was, I was laying out the power, but to do that, you have to be really in, in the moment and you have to be fearless and be ready to go anywhere and say anything and do anything that fits the moment. And what happened was I, after the doc, I, I was doing a, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of stage time. It's crazy. After all that, I, I was just struggling to get on stage, but I had one guy that was putting me on his show at the comedy store at least once a month. So I would say about six, seven months in one night, I, I was feeling really, really irritable and cranky. And I, I was walking up on stage and I, I just wasn't feeling it. Like I was thinking, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I don't feel it, but literally I, I can still visualize this. I'm like two feet away from making the turn to walking up on the stage. And I just, I just sort of went, fuck it. And I walked up there in a completely different like persona that I just let in. And that was, that, and that was the guy. That's the guy that, you know, used to kill all the time. And I just started going off and I started talking about whatever I, whatever came to my mind. I was talking about, you know, Trump and whatever, but whatever it was, it, it even it, no matter how worn that area was, I was coming at it from a different perspective, but my energy was connecting with the crowd because I was being real. I was being like, I don't, you know, I don't hate this, to use the analogy. Well, I don't care what you think. It's hard. It's, it's, it's like that. Like, it's not that you don't care, but it's just like, this is who I am. You have to accept it. If you don't, that's fine too. That's what you mean by I don't care. But when you do that, they totally tune into you because they sense yep. you're being authentic, you know? So that was the night that set was the night that I was like, okay, you did it. You did what you said you were going to do. And then yeah. I felt that I did it, that I, that I, I satisfied the urge and I, I did what I set out to do. And I was done, you know, that's it. That was it. I After that, it. I realized I don't even care if I ever do this again. I love that. That's not in the back of my head anymore that I need to do it. I did it. And if I ever want to do it again, it'll be because I just want to do it. But I don't, I don't have this monkey on my back anymore about, uh, I just, it's like, it's almost like you want to validate, was I really that good? Or, you know, was I really that creative? What did I really, was I really able to summon up that force on stage and after not doing it for a long time it's really interesting to see what it takes to get it back and the fact that it's even in there at all and if it's in there at all it's in there forever it's just what it's just who you are it's what you do you know oh so great 
way back in the day when I was modeling, I would do like commercials too. And I was horrid and horrible and just like frightening at acting and stuff like that. And I was never authentic, never, and never in myself. And um, I now don't give a shit what anyone thinks of me. And I just am me, right? And it feels so good to just be real and just state my truth and just be who you are, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, go ahead. No, I was going to say, there's no, there's the cliche, you can't please everyone, anyone, right? Anyway, so you have to just, all you can do is be who you are, be yourself, you know? Your Freudian slip was you can't please anyone. And I like that. <laughs> Probably, probably true. Yeah, yeah, probably more. I didn't even know. I can't. I, did I really say that? Awesome. Yeah. But it's like, I just I made a choice when I started to do this stuff on TV or whatever, radio, podcast, I don't know. But just to, to be like, the only way I can do, possibly do any of this stuff is to just be me because it, it, it is it is a disservice to everyone else, yeah. you know, isn't it? Well, you know, that's a really good point that you bring up, which was also uh, very much in the philosophy of comedy, too, when people would start out. You know, you meet some of the older people, or sometimes you'd meet name comics in the clubs, and, you know, you get a chance to pick their brains. And to a person, they always said the same thing. It's like, you know, the whole thing about learning comedy and uh, trying to be a stand-up is that eventually you have to find a voice. Mm -hmm. on stage now you it may it may be your authentic voice of like who you are as a person i was more of that that style it could be a character but whatever it is it takes a while to refine it and once it once you'll know when it's there because you'll start doing really well you know mm -hmm. and uh it's the same analogy for life it's like fine you, you know you, you you go through your things that you have to learn and the experiences and your ups and downs and your cuts and scrapes and you come out the other side of it, that's the only thing that's good about getting older, is that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I, like you get, you have some peace of mind, at least understanding what the hell is going on. I'm less stressed, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. You sort of just, I can't, you know, I can't fix everything. And I'm, no. and I'm not responsible for everything. I do the best that I can, you know? I'm, and it is, a lot of it is about not beating yourself up. That's what we do too the whole time we expect more out of our not everybody does but i did i always expected so much more out of myself meanwhile i wasn't giving myself credit for what i was accomplishing now i can exactly. now i do that in retrospect you know so i always say don't stop expecting you out of people that's where we fuck up yeah that's another good one <laughs> <laughs> this might be like a question you hate getting asked but who are your influences in comedy? Who were your influences? Who who do you love? I think there were, well, the first two for sure were uh, were George Carlin and uh, and Robert Klein because when I was a kid, when I was like a preteen, I remember listening to their records with friends that turned me on. Like I I never thought of listening to comedy on a record. Like that didn't make any sense to me. I should be you know was always listening to music, and then. Um, the idea of like you know smoking some weed and listening to comedy and then all of a sudden that just blew my head open because what happened was i became this was this was like one of the first uh you know pieces of evidence that i might actually be good at this because i would listen to that stuff and then i would be able to impersonate it 
So like in school, I, I would be doing George Carlin routines and people would be like, wow, he really sounds like him. But what, I, what it was, it wasn't even the sound, but what it was was being able to tap into timing, which is not, as you know, I mean, that's not something everybody has or gets. And it's timing and how you accentuate things. And so by, by listening to the greats and impersonating them, and then I went on to, to do that with Robert Klein, who was a wonderful observational comedian, uh, even Woody Allen's records, which I li listened to, which were great. Richard Pryor, probably the best of all in terms of oh, yeah. package together. But what I used to do was, and before I started doing stand-up, literally before I, the first time I ever did stand-up, was I, I just woodshed it and I just listened to all of them. And this was, again, who told me to do this? I just did it. Like that was, I thought, well, I think this is what I need to do. I need to immerse myself in the best. Yes. And not, and not take notes or anything like that. Just let it sift in and then stop, take a break, a day, whatever, and then sit down and start. And, you know, I had to write material for the first audition I ever did. And uh, again, you know, ignorance is bliss. I would never have thought to do that. But at, at, at age 21, I'm like, yeah, well, that's, that's how I'm going to do it. And that's what I'm going to do. And damn, if I didn't go off the first time and just destroy the room. You did. I did, yeah. Some, most comics will tell you that they bomb the first time, but some, some, sometimes you kill. I know other people who did too. But the only problem with that is that you think you are sent from heaven and that you cannot screw up. And you, you, you're, so you're going to have a bigger fall when you, other things start happening, like when you get heckled and you don't know what to do. But still, it's such a jolt to do it the first time and blow the room away because it really makes you feel like, you know what? I do belong here. This is Hell this. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I have a lot to learn and I will. But I, I mean, the first time to do that. And that's how I that's how I um, that's how I prepared for it by by tapping into those influences. And I think I that's, told that's you. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a psychic question. I want you to read me for a minute. Why do you think I have so many goddamn comedians for friends? Oh, do you? I do. I've had like five comedians on my podcast alone. Why do I tr attract you guys? I think it's, I think you already, we've already talked about it. We talked about it earlier when we were talking about the way that you look at life, the way that you, I mean, that's the gift, that's the gift and the curse that comedians have, right? Is being able to, sift through and go right to the bone of, of, of the truth, right? And you're that same type of person. So you want to be around people too that, that do that. Because you see, you know, it's, it's like pulling the curtain back. It's uh, the shortcut to the truth that, you know, and you're that type of person and you like being around people that are like that. You know, and whether or not it, it, it's, you're talking about things all the time, doesn't matter. There's a sense a vibe, you know, like when we have conversations just in general, they're not, they're never superfluous, but they're not necessarily really serious either, but it's, it's just true and right, you know? That's pretty deep because it's, it's, um, it's highly, for me, my spiritual mantra is have fun. That's it. Have fun. And I feel that laughter is highly highly spiritual to laugh is highly spiritual it, it it actually relaxes the body relaxes the mind right and it's you're giving a gift to the world by making them laugh this is it's probably the biggest gift you can give the world is love and laughter right so for me it's so soothing and therapeutic and wonderful to be around laughter 
right? But then, yeah, well, sure. but that comes from pain, you know, and we're yeah, purging, sure. we're purging our pain. And it's like, I look into your eyes and there's so much depth. And when we speak to each other, it's like, like I said, we're in on the joke, you know? Like, I think yeah. that's what's so beautiful about comedy is that there's so much depth and there's so much pain and there's so much sort of resolution through the jokes. It's funny that you bring up the whole pain thing, you know, because that's become such a, I don't want to say it's a trope or a cliche because it's kind of, it's true. You can't, if you're a true um, comedian, you have to come from that because that's what brings it out. That's, it's, it's a coping mechanism. It's, it's a, uh, it's a way for you to deal with that. Um, I don't like to make too much of a big deal about it because I, I hate when people, there's a lot of people who don't really understand it and they just think, oh, comics are just all bent, broken people. Yes and no, maybe some of them are, but they're also like some of the smartest people I've ever met and the most oh, interesting. God. You know, I don't know. Do you know Tehran Vengarzi? Have you checked out Tehran Vengarzi? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's fucking brilliant. I mean, he's one of the smartest people I know. I also think that uh, we're living in a time where we're getting most of our really good information from uh, comedians who do news type comedy shows because they're the only ones that are telling the truth. Or I'm not saying that people are trying to lie to you, but they're so regular news outlets are so overwhelmed that they just, you know, whatever, they just blather out all of this information. But comedians sort through it and go, this is, I think, what you should know. This is important, <laughs> you know. And you also do, by doing it through laughter, you really imprint the truth on people because yeah. a laughter is, when people laugh at something, uh, I heard this great definition of comedy to somebody who said, it, comedy, comedy is, a story with a is a story with a surprise ending, right? It's always like, oh, I'm, you're telling me something, you're telling me something, and then you, you go there. And you go, oh, and then you laugh because you're like, Oh yeah, that's so true. I didn't, and why are you different or the audience is different? Because they wouldn't have thought that on their own. But now that you mention it, they go, oh yeah, that's right. I've, or I have thought of that, but I never thought to say it or I never thought to articulate it in any way. But, but you did. And it made me, it made me discover and it made me laugh. That's, that's art, right? Same thing when you look at a painting and you go, oh wow. It, like it touches you or it doesn't touch you. But when it does, that's, a, I mean, it's all, it's art no matter what, but that's the true meaning of it. There's some kind of cathartic experience in it that you get something out of it. I say art is God. Uh, David Bowie said, until you had art, you only had God or something like that. Like meaning like you only had God and then you discovered art, which is God, right? When you're doing your stand-up and you're in that moment, you're in the space between thoughts, right? You're only doing your comedy. So you're in that zone, like you say, right? That's, yeah. that's art. That's God. Yeah. You're in your space yeah, between you thoughts. That, uh, there's a, everybody's got to, you know, there's so many different words for it. For me, I, I, used, I like I said, I likened it to a zone. And and I remember writing about it one time and I, and I was, cause I was trying to describe what it felt like to walk on stage and just do really well. And I remember using the term bathed, bathed in, in light. And of mm -hmm. course, literally there are lights on you, but I felt it was beyond that. It's like you're, you're in this safe zone or something where you are just kind of impregnable and you can just do whatever you want. It's not easy to do. It doesn't always happen either. 
It's like I a thing that. you have to tap into. Well, that's, I'm a painter. So I, when I paint, it's the same thing. Some days I'm like, damn it, it's not coming and I can't make it happen. And then I paint over that, you know, and I paint over it and I paint over it and I go, it's just not happening. It sounds exactly like writing. Exactly. Same thing. Does it? Yeah, because it's all the same thing. Yeah, you know, and I guess that's part of the, that, that's the hardest part is to be, you know, have discipline as an artist, right? Because there's a free freedom and a free spirit thing. But you know what? The really great ones work, work their asses off too. They write every day. You know, they, they power through those times. And that's something that I would say too, that some of the people that I knew, that when I sort of started to drop out of stand-up, they powered through. There were a lot of things going on. The, the, the industry itself was, was correcting. It was slowing down. Things were getting, like it, it, it was kind of an easy thing, an easy decision to jump away from it. But some people that I know didn't, and they hung in there. They kept their head down and they slogged through uh, a really, a really kind of bleak era in, in, in stand-up, like the early to mid-90s when the comedy boom was over. And uh, they came out the other side, you know. I, I just decided that I wanted to go try something else uh, that worked, you know, for me. But that's where the problem began. <laughs> okay, so what is better? That fresh, I just started doing cocaine and I have that serious awesome buzz feeling or doing a really great set of comedy? Wow, great question. The, I would have to say that obviously the, the comedy, uh, because you did it, you made it. And, and amazingly, is the, the head was, was very similar, except it lasted longer. And then the problem was, was that you wanted to last even longer, so then you do the coke. <laughs> <laughs> so, all night long in the city, you know, you'd be going on and you'd do a set and you'd do whatever. You did good, you did better. You, but also, you know, you're doing like four or five sets a night and, you know, it's a long night. So in between, you need to drink and vodka. I mean, so you're just like, and then you have to go to an after hours club to, to wind down. I love that. I wish I was like your age in that time because that time is so freaking the style the 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 fashion the music everything i'm so drawn to it's so hot you know it's like such a killer time for style you know it was a really great energy like in new york too because it was it was you know like the role it was like the roaring 20s the 80s it was people oh were just, yeah. yeah like like deborah harry is my spirit animal you know for sure, for sure. So, okay, now we have this segment called the voodoo that you do. And basically what I want from you is, I want you to ask me to do some magic for you. Like, what do you want to manifest? What do you feel like doing in your life right now? What do you have coming up anyway? What's going on with you? Um, nothing really hard. I mean, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about possibly working on this docu-series they need that's already really kind of staffed up, but it's a passion project for, 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 would be something that I would love to work on. So I said, look, anything that I could do, I would like to do. And he said, well, you know, we need some people. It's a New York based thing, but they need people in LA to interview some people. And I might be able to do that. So I don't know, but that's not a big thing. I don't know. I don't really know what's going on, Heather. I know. Well, we created a show together, but that seems kind of dead right now. Well, right now. 
Well, we always are creating stuff together too. So maybe we'll do something. Yeah. Maybe we'll reconvene and retool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So let me predict. I think I know what the voodoo that you do is should be me predicting your future professionally. Do it. Right. Yeah. Let me tap in. Okay. Try, do I have to touch my keys or something? Yeah, let's just uh, vibrating off of Lou. So Lou, okay. I, the first number I get very powerfully is 828, 828, 828. So August 28th, nothing is really, sorry, but nothing is really going to happen until then. Uh, the New York thing is kind of lame. Uh, don't feel it really manifesting. You say they already staffed up? Yeah, they're just thinking they might need people to help out in L.A., you know. Yeah, if you get that gig, it's very small. But 8, yes. 828, there is a big job. This is a network show. This might have to do with, you ever worked with Scott St. John? Yeah, a long time ago. Right, I don't even know if he's still around. He probably is, but it's an S-name producer, big wig, network show. Females involved on the show. Like hot chicks, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm wrong, you don't say. And the money is good. And I see a six month time on it. Six months, six month of, uh, six month gig. Then also you may be going back to Curb. Is Curb in production? It's going to be. Right. Oh, right. Is there a black person on it in a lead role? I haven't seen that one. Yeah. What's his name? Um. The guy? Be smooth. Right. It's with him. Some interaction or scenes with him. Wow. That would be awesome. Yep. So things are looking up, but not until more like September, early, late August, early September. Stop doubting and stop feeling low about it. But don't, don't really, just take the rest of the month to enjoy because you are going to be working beautiful we'll have to check back do you have any questions for me psychically you know I, i'm going to ask about uh daniel's situation because his show is supposed to start originally it was supposed to start up again in the beginning of august then now there's like a there hasn't been any official work but now there's a soft push for the end of august and also he was supposed to do that movie in australia which was supposed to which now rubs right up against it and so we just, we don't, we don't know what's happening. We don't know if the show's going to get pushed. We don't know if the movie's going to get pushed. We don't know if he's going to be able to do the movie at all. Will he be able to do the movie at all? Oh my God. Okay. So 828 is when he goes, that's his show, right? 828. That's what it is. And then the movie does get pushed two times. Is there, a, this is so weird, but is there a whale in the movie or a fish? Because, okay. Spirit animal around it is whale. You need to Google whale. It might mean that it's a big, big, big movie. Big as a whale, right? Big as a whale. Something about being big, big. Now, it's worth him doing. It's going to be a little bit of a pain in the ass, but it's worth him doing because it's big, big, big like a whale. And look, Google spirit animal whale, what it, the meaning of a whale is. But you see it getting pushed? Yeah, twice. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, that would be yeah. great. I mean, I just hope he's able to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I think he will. There's like a little bit of stuff involved, like chaos a little bit, but he is able yeah. to do it. Good. So things are looking up. Good, good, good. And we have to re uh, 
you know, reboot our thing. Yeah, we got to reboot our show. <laughs> we'll see, or at least have drinks. <laughs> yes, at the very least. Um, Lou, it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And you have inspired us all to go for our dreams no matter what age and maybe get on a roller coaster. Yes. We are on a roller coaster. We already are, exactly. The solar system is hurtling through the universe. Exactly. Just hang on. Hang on. I love you, my friend. If you liked today's episode, please leave me a rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening. For more info about me, visit my website at heatherobble.com.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.